Welcome to the Five Points Church Planning Podcast. Something that we wanted to mention that might be interesting to some of you who are out there listening, Birmingham Theological Seminary is offering a Doctor of Ministry program with a track for church multiplication. This is specifically designed for church planting leaders, network leaders, pastors who are at churches and would like to see their church plant more, or would like to see their presbytery become greater involved in church multiplication. If you're interested in this, if you would like to know more, visit www.btseducation. Now that's a little unusual. It's not edu. It's bts.education. Of course, you can Google Birmingham Theological Seminary if you would like to know more. Real quick before we get started, this episode is sponsored by Auxilio Partners, managing the business of your church so you can focus on the ministry. Find out how at auxilio.partners slash five points. John, how are you? How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Hunter. How are you? So what are we talking about? We're talking about being a preacher man. Shucking the corn as a wise <laughs> ruling elder once told me. Um, it took me a, a while not having grown up in a farming background, exactly what he was talking about, but can't get the imagery out of my head. Okay. Well, are we going to have our lovely intern Reed pepper us with questions today? That's right. Reed's going to bring the heat um, because he's an expert, John. He preached last Sunday for the first time in our church plant. And so uh, we're really going to be uh, just responding to him at this point. Okay. Right, Reed? That's right, Hunter. I'm going to be bringing the heat. Our show is now sponsored by Louisiana Hot Sauce as well. <laughs> Not actually, but yes, I'm basically um, an expert preacher now. I've spent 30 minutes behind a pulpit or lectern. I don't remember from General Assembly which one I was behind, but from somewhere, and I talked for 30 minutes, and I'm an expert now. Well, it sounds good, Reed. What kind of questions do you have for us today? All right, guys, let's just jump right into it then. So basically, how is preaching in a church plant different than preaching in an established church? I'll kick it to you, Hunter, first. Reed, so my experience has been that preaching the gospel, preaching through the text is the same, whether you're in a church plant or you're an established church. What is challenging is all that goes with church planting in terms of preparation and having the time to spend in the text and talking to my friends who are pastors of established church, there's things that I'm doing in the course of the week that they simply don't have to do. And so one of the things that you have to work at is fighting really hard to carve out the time to prepare for the sermon and to prepare well. And the danger is always there that you can, you know, even this past week, having to think about uh, our website and having to think about chairs in a particular location and set up and take down and the teams that are involved with set up and take down. And a lot of these things in established churches have just been figured out. And so I would say guarding your time in order to prepare well to preach is one of the biggest challenges and one of the biggest difference between preaching in a church plan and an established church. Yeah, Reed, how many hours did you spend on your 30-minute sermon this past month? John, it was many hours. <laughs> yeah, we have an intern here with us this summer, and I've had him preach a few times. And uh, 
I only pay him for a certain amount of hours. I tell him if he goes over that, it's his own time. Um, and you know, as you're becoming a preacher and coming out of seminary and getting into the rhythm of that, uh, the last time he's going to preach, I told him I, he's probably got to cap himself at more like 10, maybe 15 hours, because realistically, uh, that's about all the time you're going to be able to have in terms of, uh, managing your schedule with other things. And, uh, you know, even, even what he has to do thinking about leading the liturgy and putting together a bulletin, not to mention all the logistical things that, that Hunter was mentioning. So yeah, there's certainly a, a bigger time crunch in terms of being able to, to get ready. Uh, it'd be great to have 20, 30 hours, uh, to go through and do all the deep translation and exegesis and read, 10 commentaries instead of two and uh, listen to your favorite guys, but in a church plant, you're kind of doing it all at the same time. I know for me, uh, I try to hit things early in the week, look through the text, come up with the main outline, kind of the main point. And then as I have time in the car, I'll listen to some of my favorite preachers uh, plug for monergism.com. Uh, they have great selection of MP3s you can listen to. Uh, lots of reformed preachers there just as it's almost like an additional commentary to me to, to go and listen to some guys uh, along the way. Once I kind of have a grasp of where I think I'm going to go and to hear some of their, uh, you know, illustrations or points that maybe they got into that maybe I had overlooked. And so later in the week, when I come back to the text, uh, crunch it in on Friday, Saturday, maybe even Sunday morning, uh, I have a lot of data and ideas in mind, and I can uh, bring that in and clarify it. Yeah, John, I went almost seven years without preaching on a regular basis when I was leading the church planning network. Mm -hmm. I tended to preach the same three or four sermons over and over again as I went and traveled and spoke to different yep. churches. And then when I came to plant Trinity, we were in the Bible study phase for the first year and a half and so when we when I dove back into preaching, it really, in some sense, shocked myself at how much work that it can be. Mm -hmm. I'd forgotten. I mean, I really had forgotten. I called a friend of mine and and just bemoaned to him uh, that it's just more work than I realized. And, and and that's after many years in the ministry. So if you're a church planner and you are thinking about planting a church, just be sure that you prepare well and that you take the time throughout the course of the week to, to prepare your sermon because the, the rigors of church planning are going to pull you in many different directions. And often that can pull, often that can translate to being pulled away from the sermon preparation that you, that you need. Yeah. As you say, that makes me realize, you know, you go from gathering and, and doing some core group meetings and all of a sudden you have to pull together planning a worship service and getting the logistics of that. And then you have to add on preaching and you probably haven't been given anything up. So rule number one in church planting, I think that I had to learn the hard way is give everything you can away to everybody as fast as possible because your responsibilities week in and week out are only going to continue to grow and pile up on top of each other. All right. So jumping off of that a little bit, Let's talk about why church planting and preaching is so important together. So how important is preaching in church planting as a whole? So you mentioned there's lots of things you have to do. There's a large chunk of time that needs to be devoted to just preaching. So what, what should I be thinking about? How is this 
or what level of importance should I be giving this? Yeah, I mean, it's it's the ultimate goal of the mission of the church to see the word proclaimed, uh, right? We're leading people to become worshipers and at the center of our worship is the preaching of God's word. And so uh, it is the the highest end. And so it comes later in some ways, right? Maybe it was a, a Bible study before, but now it is becomes much more center stage as, uh, as you go on. And, uh, it's definitely at the heart of the ministry of church planting to, to, you know, proclaim God's word to his people. It's vital. It's critical. Like John said, you don't begin preaching, but you do transition at some point to the worship service and to the preach word. And it's significant in my opinion, as I reflect back on my first plant and as I reflect on this one, that if you take care of the preaching, if you guard it well, you, you guard your time, you spend the time that you need in developing the sermon and you craft it in such a way that you're thinking about the issues and struggles and problems of your core group and the people in your church plant while at the same time you're attempting to lift high the, the cross of Christ that just in spelling all of that out, it, the importance of it is significant that um, as a church planner, this is something that you need to have a laser like focus on and you can be dragged away from it so easily. But it, one of the things that I've, I've learned over time is that it's, a rallying point for your core group is they learn to worship and they learn about you and they learn about your, your preaching style that you you're feeding them. Never forget that you are an under shepherd and you are feeding them. And that is extremely significant and important. Mm-hmm. All right. So we've mentioned a couple times already that uh, you probably started with some sort of Bible study and then you moved into uh, more formal worship service and sermon. What's the difference between a someone talking at a Bible study where you are talking about the Bible and then preparing a sermon where you are also in front of people talking about the Bible? What's the difference? You know, we, we talk about the ordinary means of grace, right? The, the preaching of the word, the administration of sacraments, prayers, uh, fellowship with others, right? the gathered worship of God's people on the Lord's day is the means through which he communicates his grace to us. And so a sermon uh, kind of goes full bore on what a Bible study maybe gets at, right? You're in the text, you're learning from God's word in a Bible study, but it's not being proclaimed to you in the same way. Um, you know, if we have a, a low view of preaching, it's just some guy up there saying something, right? And uh, maybe he's got some cool jeans on and some funny stories to tell uh but actually at the heart of preaching is is the proclamation like this is god's word i don't know what your church's liturgy is uh, a lot of times after you're the reading of the, of the scripture it's uh this is the word of the lord thanks be to god uh and and it carries with it that weight and that authority uh it is the place and the time in which uh, the spirit of god is as hunter said feeding his people it's changing his their hearts it's encouraging them it's comforting them it's challenging them it's convicting them of their sin all of those things are tied specifically to the preaching of god's word and not as much in the daily reading or the bible study in a small group setting 
but the ordained minister standing in the pulpit before God's people gathered together for worship uh, is distinctly set apart. Yeah, I completely agree with John. And I think early on, this is something that I actually struggled with. What, what is the difference between teaching and preaching? And mm-hmm. I think part of my problem was that I understood teaching better than I did preaching. And it was several books that I read from a historical perspective regarding preaching in the Reformed tradition that really helped me to better understand the, the idea of proclamation. Whereas in teaching, I feel like you're sharing information, you are engaging your audience, sometimes they're give and take. You want them to better understand the text, better understand the Bible, better understand the theology of church. But in, in preaching, it's, it's a word of proclamation with the end goal of your congregation seeing Christ and knowing him and obeying him and heart change, if you will. Whereas teaching is, as the word indicates, it's instruction regarding the material, the text, the Bible. And it honestly did take me a while to understand the difference and to be able to gear my teaching in one direction and my preaching in another, if that makes sense. Right. So while we're on the topic of preaching, this is the five points church planning podcast. So what makes reformed preaching in particular distinct and what should pastors that are planting reformed churches be thinking about? Yeah, I think it hits on a few different things. Uh, It was interesting to me early on here in Fargo, I met with a kind of a church marketing guru who is more in the Pentecostal world. And um, he was surprisingly helpful And he said to me, look, no one in town preaches like you do. That's what you should highlight as your church. You know, uh, we, their church highlights their music and whatever else, but uh, he knew about the PCA and he knew reform preaching was distinctly different. So I think there's a couple different aspects of it. I'll try to hit on a few, maybe Hunter can fill in the gaps, but uh, generally in a reform church, you're going to get expository preaching. You're going to be looking at the text for your your, your point, your main point, your sub points, all that it's derived from the text. What does this passage say? Why does it matter? Uh, and then it goes beyond that, right. Uh, to not only why does this matter? What does this text say and mean, but how does it point to Christ? So a Christ centered approach to preaching, uh, you, you can't preach the Psalms without mentioning Jesus. You can't preach on Abraham without, you know, getting to Jesus being the promised seed. And so that's, such an important thing day in and day out to, to open up the scriptures to people, uh, to explain it, uh, in a way that is uh, compelling and, and, uh, and ultimately God glorifying and pointing to Christ. So those are the first two things that kind of come to mind, expository preaching line by line, book by book, whatever it have. Uh, and ultimately our goal is to point people to Christ. John, I would add that our, our preaching is, Creedal confessional, yeah, meaning that the Bible speaks for itself and our creeds and confessions are not inerrant or infallible, but it provides me with the guardrails of our reformed doctrines in terms of preaching the gospel. It helps me to stay on a path 
frankly, that, I, you know, is important. It's significant that you can't just go willy nilly for lack of a better way of saying it, wherever you want to go, that we, we do have these safeguards. And I think that's another aspect of reform preaching that is important. Um, I think that on a lesser sense, maybe not a lesser sense, maybe that's not the right word, but that we are teaching elders who are in a session with other elders and they provide feedback and they provide guidance and they give us help regarding our preaching. And we're not just cowboys. We're not gunslingers. We're not out there doing whatever we want and saying whatever we want. We have elders, we have creeds, we have confessions, we have doctrine, we have accountability. And I think that's part of reform preaching that is often not considered. Yeah. You know, as you mentioned, the kind of confessional creedal uh, boundaries. I also think uh, reformed preaching is very theological, uh, right? I mean, you hit on a passage, maybe the main point of the passage is not about predestination, but it certainly touches on it or uh, it magnifies God's power and glory. And so there's often central place to stop and to highlight some of the nuances of a text, not merely you know, Jesus did this good thing, you know, be like Jesus or something, but that it also shows a greater witness to his character and uh, the theological categories we have. And, and that, you know, as I think about preaching the Bible on, on a Sunday morning, we're also teaching people how they ought to read and understand the text. So when they read through a book of the Bible, especially, you know, Old Testament books, maybe they're not super familiar with, they're beginning to make note to say, wow, look how this is highlighting, you know, God's sovereignty. Look how this is pointing to Christ. All these kind of things that has that theological bent to it. It's not necessarily that we're just preaching through our systematic theology, but that as themes come up in texts as, you know, even like typological uh, things pointing ahead to Christ, uh, those are all brought to bear on the text. It's not just one note, but it has this, uh, robust uh, cornucopia of a feast, if you will, each week as we look at the text and consider the different ways in which uh, it highlights who God is and our relation to him. Yeah. John, when I was called to plant my first church, I was given about six months to just simply go and raise support and meet with churches. And one of the pastors encouraged me from the mother church to visit all of the different churches from all of the different tr traditions in my community. And I did that. And it was a very helpful exercise as someone who grew up in the PCA, ordained in the PCA, went to reform seminary. I did not really know what preaching was like in other churches, in other traditions, in other denominations. And my takeaway from that was I was very, I was very thankful I was very grateful for the teaching that I had sat under for many, many years and how the text was, um, you know, made alive to me, how the pastors that I experienced led me to Jesus. And that was pretty significant. I think that the thing that we have to be careful about on our side in light of what we've mentioned with the creeds and the confessions and expository and theological and, I think we have to be careful about it not being too heady, that we have to remember the importance of preaching to the heart. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, we're not perfect. Uh, 
We are, we're sinful people that live in a sinful and fallen world. There's no perfect denomination. So I think we have to do mind. We have to be mindful in our tradition of being careful to not be too up in the clouds and to come down to earth. Yeah. And while I, I don't necessarily have a formula for getting there, uh, I aim in every one of my sermons to preach to myself first, um, you know, to, to go through a text and as God is working, whatever it is out in me, that there's an overflow of that, uh, which I help think helps connect with, with your congregation, uh, in terms of, I'm not just giving you information about this text, but I believe that it is authoritative and that it matters. And this is the effect it's had on me. Right. And some of that is coming through as you, like you said, preaching to the heart. Yeah, that's a good word. All right. So let's get really practical for a second, especially when you're starting a new church and you are going to be the first pastor delivering the first sermon and the first sermon series and going through the first book of the Bible. (laughs) How do you decide what to preach on? So I'll jump in on this one. I made a colossal mistake when I planted my first church and it was in part because of a marketing guru that John (laughs) mentioned, and he just gave me some bad advice. And he started talking about all of these unchurched and de-churched people who were out there and what they needed to hear and so forth. So I devised this topical sermon series, even though my, the inclination of my heart was I need to be preaching through a book of the Bible. I need to be expository. And and I feel like that's the setting in which I'm most comfortable. But I created this, this series of questions, sort of an apologetic series. And we did some mailers involving that. We did a little bit of advertising. Social media wasn't what it is today. And the end result was that those that did attend over time just simply wanted me to preach the word of God chapter by chapter, verse by verse. They, even though some of them or many of them had not been in church for a long period of time or not at all, I just found over time that those topics were not what they were wanting. They were wanting to be fed the word of God, not to mean that I wasn't using scripture with those topics, but Those topics were my interest. I thought they would be interesting to other people. I thought it would be appealing to people who are not in church. And so to sum it up, over time, I I found out that people just wanted me to faithfully preach the Word of God each Lord's Day. Yeah, and ironically, uh, if you just preach the Word of God faithfully through a book, you're going to hit a lot of topics. And so... uh, and they might be more relevant than the ones you'll come up with in your own cunning uh, attempt to be relevant. Uh, for me, when we started here, you know, you got 66 books to choose. Only one of them's named after me. So uh, it was easy <laughs> for me to go with the Gospel of John. But the reason I went there, uh, we did a, a series in our preview services through the parables. And that was helpful because it was kind of uh, somewhat continuous. And yet we were only meeting once a month. So it was... Uh, you know, more one-off sermons, they didn't build on each other. And uh, to go with the gospel of John, I went with it for a couple of reasons. Uh, It really, right, it put Christ at the center. Uh, It wasn't going to be hard for people to understand 
who Jesus was, right? That, like this is what he said and did. And so in some ways it was the easy choice to go with the gospel because uh, it was the starting point. It's the starting point of, you know, the apostles who heard him and, and then wrote. And so for me, that was a, a, a good way to go. It was a text that was probably familiar with a lot of the stories that people have heard growing up in Sunday school or whatever. Um, and yeah, so that was my thinking behind it. And as we've kind of continued on, you know, we want to preach the whole counsel of God. So after we finished John, we went to the Old Testament and then we've come back and we've kind of bounced around a little bit. But uh, but starting early on, getting into John, I knew it was going to take a while. Then I didn't have to think about what I was going to preach next. Uh, you know, you got 20 some chapters of John. Uh, that's going to take some time. So each week it was just what's the next, you know, what's the next scene? What's the next, we call it in preaching the next pericope of text that we're going to look at. And so uh, it was it was a very helpful way to go. And it really just laid a foundation of of working through a book and and it really just kept Christ centered in our worship and preaching. Yeah, John, it was <clears throat> my commentaries on the gospel of Mark were the first ones that I unpacked from my moving boxes. And so I said, well, that's a great start. And <laughs> a lot of the same thinking that you mentioned in terms of starting with the gospel of Mark, I like to go back and forth between the old and new. So when we finish Mark, we'll go to a book in the Old Testament. And then in the summers, I like to take a break and look at Psalm, look at the Psalms. Uh, we're not doing that right now because we started Mark later in the year. But I think moving forward, we'll, we'll do New Testament, then Old Testament, and then in the summers, look at the Psalms, Yep, perhaps Proverbs. And I think that's a good calendar for us to follow. And it's been a good practice in the past. Yeah. I'll also just make a comment. So we're doing actually a summer in the Psalms right now. Uh, we're coming up on Psalm nine this Sunday. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there are other, there's a variety in the reform tradition. Some people do follow the church calendar a bit more closely. So they'll hit a season, you know, uh, leading up, leading up to Christmas and they'll do an Advent series or something like that that that's that's within some of the tradition of the reformed faith but even there uh what you're gonna have that makes it you know th that might help you get started if a lot of times i've heard it's it's helpful to start a church uh before easter or before christmas because that's when uh non-church folks tend to show up and so uh sometimes people might take that approach we're going to do eight weeks you know leading up to the resurrection and uh and you might start on a gospel and kind of go through the whole you know passion narrative and all that uh there's there's certainly nothing uh there's nothing required within our tradition that you have to do that uh, and at the same time it is not uh forbidden right and that's the same thing it's uh, uh there's nothing spiritually magnificent about preaching through the book of romans that sets it apart from deciding to do a five weeks on on the resurrection or something like that so uh there there is a sense in which reformed preaching uh going into a church plant there's there's options there there's not a one size fit all uh but generally speaking we're trying to go to a specific text and do the exegesis to say what does this text say why does it matter how does it what does it tell us about our god and and uh and how does it apply to us so following up on that, I've decided 
where I want to start. I've got a, a book picked out. I've got something picked out that I want to go through. How do I plan out a schedule for how to tackle this? Do I do a chapter at a time, some fancy word at a time like John just used? Uh, how <laughs> often should I be preaching? When do I need to take breaks from preaching? What do you guys say about that? So I think a lot of this goes to personality. Uh, my personality is, you know, I preached on Sunday and then I'll figure it out on Monday. Um, <laughs> at my best, if I'm, I've gone through an epistle a couple of times, I can look through there and say, well, this will probably break into two sermons per chapter. And so I can at least have a loose outline. I'm going to get through chapter one. It's going to take two weeks. Um, but there's a little bit of open-endedness to, uh, to that. Now there's some people that are super scheduled, very, uh, much the opposite of me and they'll go through, you know, the gospel of John and plan out every single sermon before they begin. Uh, that just is not who I am. So I, I tend to have a loose outline, uh, like here, we're coming up to the labor day pretty soon and planning to basically that will be when we end our summer in the Psalms. And uh, I'm thinking, okay, what can I preach that will basically take from then to the end of the year as just a, a time to say, you know, we can get one more book through here. So I'm thinking I'm going to go through Galatians. We'll see if you're going to my church, that's a spoiler alert for you. <laughs> uh, and it, it, it'll fit. It might take longer. It might not take quite as long. And, and I kind of adjust as I go. Reed, I try to plan it out in a year. I take a mm like a week where I go and work on my calendar and think and pray and read. And I try to plan it out for a year, but it's constantly being adjusted as John yep. mentioned, and it's really a moving target for me. And that's for, you know, many different reasons in the course of the life of a church, things happen and things take place and you're not always able to, stick to a particular text or you, sometimes you expand it. Sometimes you shrink it. Sometimes you, um, you know, you have a missionary that comes into town unexpectedly and you would like them to preach. And so you push the text back. And so it's changing and shifting, but I try to plan it out for a year in, in terms of how often yeah. should I preach? I've changed my perspective on this over the years and I'm not the type of guy that needs to preach 50 weeks out of the year. I think it's important to have rest on a regular basis. And so I really want someone else to preach once a month. I feel like I just need that break. It doesn't mean that I'm not working. It just means that I can work on other things rather than preparation of the sermon that week. And so I am, I feel like those regular intervals of others preaching in some, some sense is good for our congregation. They need to hear from other people. And it, it really frees me up to do additional things within the life of the church plant. If I was in an established church, that might not be the case, but in, in, in a church plant, I think it is the right thing for me personally. Yeah. Probably the biggest mistake I made, which was somewhat circumstantial was the first year of worship. I was basically at worship every single week, 52 weeks in a row. I did get some, uh, quote, pulpit supply over Zoom for a couple of weeks over the summer. Uh, but I, I, I got to the end of the year and I did a little bit of reflecting and I realized that that just was 
something I had overlooked. I had planned to do my vacation and, and all that during the summer and COVID kind of threw that out the window. So this year, uh, I've been very intentional, even on a week where I'm going to be there on Sunday. If I know I'm going to be gone, you know, on a fundraising trip or out to Presbytery or something like that, if I can find somebody to come and, and do pulpit supply, like Hunter said, it gives me a little bit more breathing room to to serve Presbytery well, or to begin thinking about the next season or planning the next sermon series or whatever that might look like. There's, there's always a million things you can be doing. So I've heard it said you should, you should aim for 40 sermons a year, which is once a month, uh, having pulpit supply. And it's not like every three weeks you have somebody come in necessarily. You might have two weeks off in a row or, or what that might look like. Having an intern this summer has been helpful. Uh, over the summer, he'll preach a total of four times. Uh, so, but with that, it's a different kind of work. I'm helping them along. We're doing some review afterwards and, uh, and I'm still there helping lead the services and those kind of things. So, uh, I think that's a healthy rhythm to whatever it looks like to just have a regular influx of, of other voices and opportunity for you to just be able to step away and know that it's not just your voice is the most important thing at the church. John, I had an older pastor tell me one time and he, throughout the course of his ministry, he always sat in the chair up on by the pulpit. And he said, in looking back, I feel like I made a mistake that I should have spent more time worshiping with my family and mm. standing with them in the pew yeah, and giving others an opportunity to preach for, for no other reason than that. He said, I felt like I should have taken breaks a little bit more often than I did. And I thought that was a good word. Yeah. And I mean, if we're talking about church multiplication too, we're talking about raising up leaders. Uh, so you might have an intern seminary student in your congregation. Uh, it should be a joy to be able to have them uh, be able to have opportunities to preach, to lead worship. Uh, I would love for the future ruling elders of our church to preach once a year. Uh, you know, obviously the calling is slightly different than that of a traditional teaching elder pastor, but uh, scripture says they ought to be able to teach. So it would be uh, great to have the people, you know, hear from all of the leadership of the church. Certainly they should be capable to do so. And so, um, you know, as you're thinking about cultivating leaders, uh, pulpit ministry is certainly a place to do that. All right. So guys, as we're wrapping this up, is there anything that you wish your congregations knew about preaching or what it takes to be a good preacher or the preparation that goes behind sermon prep more often than not most weeks out of the year that uh, most people that just show up to church on Sundays maybe don't get. I would go back to our earlier question and conversation about what preaching really is. Um, I think the American church culture uh, has a pretty low view of preaching and it's it's basically a Christian TED talk. Um, and so to think less of their pastor and more of the word of God and, uh, and the significance, you know, it's, it's a challenge. You got young kids pulling on your legs during the sermon and, and, you know, your phone buzzing in your pocket, all the things that can distract you. Um, and even the preparation for coming to worship. If, if, uh, if congregations, individuals in the church, um, would grow in their understanding of what God is truly doing 
uh, as we gather together, as we hear his word, as we feast together at his table and pray at the prayers that he taught us, all those things, uh, the higher view we have of that, the more uh, biblically saturated view, the more we're able to receive. It seems, uh, you know, what what's your expectation coming in uh, is really going to be a big effect on what you're able to receive uh, as a participant. There's a couple of things from a from a funny standpoint, particularly in a church plant where the crowd, the congregation is a little bit smaller. You would be surprised at how many faces you can see and the mm. expressions that are being made <laughs> and how some people look like they're angry at you when in reality they're just listening. That's just their posture. People dozing off, people um, doing different things. I think they would be surprised to know how you can, over time, learn how to preach outwardly and in in your mind you can carry on a conversation with yourself i wonder why he's looking that way i wonder why she made that expression so forth and so on but the second thing that i would say is that i still get nervous that the congregation probably something that they don't understand mm-hmm. or realize is that i still get a little bit nervous when i preach because it's an important thing that we've been called to do and you want to get it right. And you want to please God. You want to honor him. You want to glorify him. And sometimes that can create a touch of anxiety. And then I would say thirdly to the congregation, understand you're just not going to hit a home run every time that life is challenging. Ministry is difficult things happen in the course of the week. And sometimes you walk away from a sermon and you just think, boy, that was a solid double up the middle, or that was a triple, but not a home run that you are striving your best to bring God the glory, but you just don't hit it out of the park every single time. But the flip side of that is that what may not be the best sermon you've ever heard to someone else, it might be. And just to, you know, be patient with your pastor and allow the Holy Spirit to work. Yeah, you know, it's surprising to me how two-way a sermon really is, even though there's only one person speaking, uh, the feel of the room, the looks on the faces and all that. And and I do think that, uh, you know, members in a church can foster a more robust interaction. I mean, even something as simple as reading the text before you get to church, um, you know, it gets you gets you primed. It gets maybe some questions in your mind. It uh, <clears throat> it highlights some things that are. I mean, at the end of the day, we're just trying to make the word of God preached faithfully, right? Like yeah. you said, it's not like right. we're trying to be uh, have some novelty, you know, amazing illustration every week or something. Like that's what you want to remember. What we want you to remember is what what yeah. the text says. Why does it matter? How it points to Jesus. Sure. And so, uh, even a, a little bit of extra. Uh, preparation coming in, you know, reading through the text, taking down a note, uh, reading it again when you get home afterwards. Uh, and if there's little things along the way, it is a good encouragement, not just to say, uh, hey, really appreciated the sermon today, but, um, you know, a, a note or text or whatever later to say, hey, when you said this, or I never saw this in that passage or something that's specific, those are the things that are real encouraging to me because what it tells me is what people are hearing what they're remembering, 
Right. And, uh, and that helps me have a gauge for uh, how well I'm communicating. Mm-hmm. John, I'll, I'll close this with this. I would challenge church planters who are just beginning the journey of preaching on a regular basis. And please know that I don't consider myself a great preacher by any stretch of the imagination. But one of the things that I committed myself to doing the second time around in the second church plant is going back and listening to my, all my sermons. Hmm. I think yep. it's a good, a really good way that we can improve as preachers. I did not do that the first time. And I think that it's a very helpful practice to listen to yourself and it will, it will enable you to communicate better um, and to preach better, to explain the text better. I just think it's a good thing, a good habit to develop. Yeah, that's good. I, I actually watch our live stream right after church every time and try to watch my sermon. And it usually flattens it out for me. If I think it was great, it wasn't as great as I thought. If I thought it was bad, it ends up being pretty good or whatever, good enough, however you want to rank it. It, it really is a helpful way to, to engage uh, with your own personal feedback. And maybe someday we'll all be as good as preachers as Reed. So if you need any preaching tips, make sure to reach out to Reed Kelly. Uh, he knows everything. That's right. You guys, I really appreciate the thoughts today. I thought y'all did a pretty good job explaining just about everything that people need to know. Um, So I appreciate your time. We don't know anything. That's the last word for now. Thanks to Auxilio for sponsoring this episode. And thanks to you for listening. If you'd like to reach out, you can find all of our social and email information in the doobly-doo below. The Five Points Church Planning Podcast is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters.